You cannot become strong without first going through all of the hardships. I failed left and right. I had to go through situations and trials and tribulations that, you know, I just had to figure out how to get through it and make the most of it. So it's that whole no pain, no gain philosophy. And I think failure is necessary to become successful and wisdom comes from overcoming failures. The voice you just heard is my longtime colleague and friend, Rich Plaskin. As a child, Rich was labeled as learning disabled and he struggled with that label for many years. Later, as a young adult, he had to confront the reality that he wasn't living as his authentic self and he had to overcome some fear to break through that challenge. In his Cutco business, Rich has experienced many highs and lows, but in the long run, he has been a smashing success who has parlayed his excellent results into a lifestyle that most would aspire to. Enjoy this episode with the stories and lessons from Rich Plaskin. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Mr. Rich Plaskin. Rich is a 30-year veteran of the Cutco Vector Marketing business, having started all the way back in 1989. For over 20 of those years, Rich was the division manager of the Virginia division, and he was one of the most prolific leaders in the company, responsible for over $84 million in Cutco business, which places Rich among the most successful division managers in the history of the company. He is also a well-known expert in the area of finances, and I'm sure that's something that we're going to get into here today. And recently, the company tapped Rich for a new role, which is the national sales manager of our company's next-gen organization, which is bringing the Cutco sales and recruiting opportunity to people who are outside of the traditional college student target market. And so, again, we have one of the most prolific leaders in the history of our company here today. Rich, thank you very much for making some time for the podcast. You're welcome. Yeah, Glad to really, be here. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Looking forward to this conversation. So tell us, Rich, a little bit about uh, your story and just how you got started with Cutco and Vector way back in 1989. Well, hopefully my story can be inspiring to some others out there. Um, I guess if I were to title this, it would be how a learning disabled introvert can become successful. And um, 
at a very young age as a, a child, um, I was labeled as LD or learning disabled. Uh, that was uh, going into first grade. And um, that label stuck with me all through grammar school, uh, all through high school. And um, it took a lot of extra work just for me to pass certain classes and get good grades in others. Um, in high school, I bombed my SATs and I really had no interest in going to college. So my dream job was, believe it or not, to become a trucker. And uh, I accomplished that. I became a trucker. Um, fortunately, my parents taught me strong work ethic and the importance of saving money. So I never really worried about my future. So I come from a blue collar background. Uh, after high school, I became a full-time trucker for 14 months. And then at that point, I decided to go to college. I had an invitation to go to college, a community college uh, at a state. And during my summer breaks in college, I continued to do trucking. Uh, I was a union carpenter's apprentice. I did restaurant work, uh, did house painting. And during my last two years of college, I was a part-time radio newscaster uh, during the school year. And I thought that that's what I wanted to do uh, post-college was be a newscaster. So how I found Vector, it was right when I finished up my junior year at Frostburg State University. Uh, I was a mass comm major. I stayed after to do a filming internship. And I met with my academic advisor before I went back to New Jersey. And he uh, was reviewing all of my courses and credits and what I had left for my senior year. And he said, let's review your resume experience. And I showed him all the jobs I had done. And his advice was, he says, you need to find some real experience before you graduate. Mm. Now, keep in mind, I have one summer left before my senior year, and then I'm graduated. And I said, well, what should I do? He says, I don't have an answer, but you just need to find a real job with real experience. When I got home, my mom had gone through the paper that was like one of those free papers they stuff in your mailbox. And in the back section, there was the classifieds and under help wanted, she clipped out. It said, uh, summer work, you know, college students, great pay, blah, blah, blah. She clipped it out and left it on my bed. <laughs> and so I am a newspaper recruit from the old days. Uh, I called the number and sure enough, it was Vector and Cutco. I had no idea what the position was. That's all they told me to do is, you know, be in a suit and tie and show up for this interview. And I showed up and it was Vector and I was impressed with the knives. I'd never done anything like it, but I said, gosh, if, you know, if I can cut a rope and leather and a penny and make money, I'll do it. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's how I found Vector. Wow. Um, I launched June 14th of 1989. So I just celebrated my 30th year with the company. Wow. Well, congratulations on 30 awesome years. I find it fascinating how you were labeled as a child learning disabled. And I think that the labels that are put on us by others can be really transformational in our life, both good and bad as a young child. I almost had the opposite label in that I was always in like accelerated learning groups in my school. And I, I was in the opposite classes. Yeah, yeah. And, and I feel lucky because I didn't have any other good 
skills to draw upon. Like I had social skills, communication skills. You know, I wasn't one of the cool kids. Like all of those things were on the negative side of the ledger for me. Mm-hmm. But I was able to draw confidence that, well, I can learn anything. You know, I can learn anything that I, I want to learn. And that enabled me to feel like I could be good at stuff. And the labels that we put on ourselves, that others put on us, that we put on others, like that's a really critical thing to consider and think about. Like that's the challenging circumstance that you had. Yeah. And, you know, I was born and raised in central New Jersey. So I learned at a young age that I had to become street smart and people smart. So those were my strengths. And I just used those to make it with whatever I did to current. Yeah. But, you know, fortunately, I fell in love with the rep position. I never thought that I would, you know, get so into what it was. Um, And I hit my 50% commission level my first summer. Um, I remember my manager approaching me like in June or July about becoming uh, a branch manager. And I remember rejecting him. I said, Ben, I said, I really appreciate your confidence and, you know, your excitement about, you know, what I might be able to do, but I'm, I'm going to be a, a newscaster after graduation. So, I, you know, I have a plan. And what was so funny, Dan, is uh, it was one of those hot July days. It was like mid-July, third week of July, maybe. And I mean, I was at the peak of my selling skills. And I remember back in those days, I had a 2K plus day. And, um, you know, to have a 2K day back then, like you had to sell like, you know, four homemakers. (laughs) And uh, literally. (laughs) And I remember it was this steaming hot July day. The AC in my car broke and I rolled my windows down and I'm cranking the music and I'm thinking, I love everything. And a 2K day at 50%, I just turned a grant. And yeah. I'm thinking, I love my life. I love my job. I love the company. I love Cutco. I love everything. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, if I love everything, why the heck would I want to leave it? And I went to the office. I dropped off my orders and I told my manager, I said, Ben, I want your job. Like, I don't want you to get fired or anything, but I want to learn about this management gig now. And uh, that, that was the decision to get into a management training program with Vector. Oh, that's so cool. Who was the manager that recruited you? Oh, gosh. Back in those days, it was Ben Sorbello. Benny. We used to call him yeah, Benny. Benny Sorbello. Benny Sorbello. And this uh-huh. was in Southern New Jersey, Central New Jersey? Central Jersey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, where I'm from. Yeah. Oh, wow. East, East Brunswick office, to be exact. Nice. I think what you talked about, about loving every element of what you're doing is, is exactly one of the reasons why so many of us have stayed in Cutco Vector for so long is there's just so much to like and love about what we're doing in terms of the opportunity and the people and the impact and all the things that we get to do here. So yeah, it's really cool. Tell us about some of your more transformational experiences of your career that really stand out. I would say the biggest transformational things were failure. Everybody sees the successes because you get rewarded and awarded with trophies and plaques and bonuses and all the stuff that's publicized, right? But very few people see the failures. I failed terribly as a branch to the point where at the end of the summer, 
Al DiLeonardo drove to my branch office and took me out to lunch. And over lunch, he said to me, he says, so what are your plans at the end of the summer? And I said, well, Al, I said, you know, I love Vector. I love everything about it. And I, I know I didn't do well as a branch, but I want to become a district manager at the end of the summer. And I would really like to move back home to my hometown of Somerset, New Jersey. Now, by the way, Somerset, New Jersey, Lori Zager was the branch manager there that summer. And I don't know if you remember this, but she was the number two branch yeah, in the nation. Exactly. Okay. So... I'm basically saying, look, I know I failed, but I want to move to the number two territory (laughs) in the company. And uh, Al says to me, he says, Rich, he says, I really think you need to find a job that you're good at. (laughs) 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 I said, I'm going to get good at this. I'm not quitting. I I don't want to (laughs) leave. Wow. That was like a sharp stick called truth right there. He was right. So we laugh about it today, he and I. Um, But the truth is, I did get my shot. Uh, Lori had moved to another territory, which opened up Somerset. And I said, just give me one shot, just one shot at this. And you know what I did? Um, At the end of that failing summer, I took a piece of paper. And on the left-hand side of it, I wrote down every single thing that went wrong everything that frustrated me, everything that I failed at. Um, And then on the right side, I wrote what possible solutions were next to each of those. And I opened up my, my new office, okay? And by the way, they wouldn't even promote me to a district manager. I did so terrible. Uh, there was something called an OM back then. It was an office manager. And that was basically this. like purgatory, right? <laughs> I remember this, it, yeah. It, yeah, so you had to prove your way to be a district. So yeah. I You hadn't, quote, office. qualified yet. So yeah. you had to produce a certain amount of sales to get the official district yeah. manager promotion, yeah. And the truth is, I went from worst. I was the lowest ranked office in the company that was still open at the end of the summer. And by the end of that fall, I was, I was first. I was like top in the nation. So uh, that, that's where, you know, we, we used to say, hey, we, we went from worst to first. Wow. So, yeah. That's a, that's a fast progression right there during that fall. Yeah. That was quite a ride. Um, and then I, I was a district manager for a couple of years. And I mean, just cranking, just learning the business and being a student and, um, you know, building relationships with the right reps on my team and developing them. And then I wanted to become a division manager. So um, many people don't know this, but back in those days, I guess there still is a DVC, right? Division coordinator. Yeah. So January 1st, 94, um, Al asked me if I would move to Southern Virginia from Central New Jersey to be the DVC for the Southern Virginia division. And I said, sure. So I jumped on it and I relocated my entire life. I didn't know anyone down there. And then I um, had an opportunity to move up to Fairfax, Virginia. And uh, then I became the division manager for the entire state of Virginia. And that reignited my my growth career. And um, yeah, that's how I got to be DVM of Virginia. So there were trials and tribulations in these early days for you that certainly a lot of people who are new 
at management and vector or new as an entrepreneur in whatever business they're running can relate to. And But you seem like you bounced back from those things quickly and you learned from them very quickly, which sort of is the opposite of your learning disabled label you were given as a kid. It seems like you were learning fast and you were growing fast and figuring things out pretty quickly. You know, what contributed to you achieving success pretty quickly after sort of stumbling out of the blocks? Again, I I fell back on my strengths. So my strengths was never being book smart, but it was being people smart and street smart. So as long as I was good at the people part of the business, I learned the business part of it. Okay. And, you know, once you do anything so many times, you become proficient and then hopefully an expert at it. Right. And that's eventually what happened. So yeah. And then, you know, another transformational experience for me is now I'm a high shipping DVM, one of the top pilot offices in the company. And um, in my personal life, I, uh, I needed to be authentic with myself. So I was the first manager in the company to ever come out as being gay. And uh, keep in mind, this is in the 1990s. So it was a little different world than we're in today. And that was the biggest roadblock challenge that I went through in my career at that point was uh, telling the executives and my peers and my coworkers and everybody that, you know, I needed to be authentic to myself. Right. But I'll tell you what. Once I became authentic with myself and everyone else in my universe, my business exploded. Like literally, um, I coached with Fima Zanke and uh, I said, I need to just put all of this together and figure out how to use all of this as strength. And um, with her guidance and coaching, I grew myself that year 153% over the previous year. Wow. And we were already doing great. Okay. But I mean, then it was just like nitrous. We just exploded after that. So the biggest lessons that I've, you know, come away with is this is my opinion. You cannot become strong without first going through all of the hardships. I failed left and right. I had to go through situations and trials and tribulations that you know, I just had to figure out how to get through it and make the most of it. So it's that whole no pain, no gain philosophy. And I think failure is necessary to become successful. And wisdom comes from overcoming failures. Yeah. Do you think, Rich, that feeling like you had to disguise who you were authentically in those early days was something that held you back from being able to fully achieve the success that was there for you? I don't know. Um, I did what I had to do to succeed. And I, I don't know if I can answer that. You know, it's just the way that it happened for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is the 1990s. It's the 1990s, Things right? Things were it's a lot different back a then. A lot different. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if I can really answer that, but it just... I wouldn't change anything, to be honest. Um, I would not be who I am today and where I am today if I did not have to go through all of these um, challenges and 
obstacles and failures. So I'm grateful for all those failures. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I've heard people say a lot of times is that Vector is a place that enables people to be their authentic selves and fit in and be successful. Have you found that over the years that that's been true for you? Absolutely. And I'm just a believer that it doesn't matter who you are as long as you put in the hard work and the blood, the sweat and the tears and you pay the price, you can be successful. But you know, for people who aren't willing to do that, it doesn't matter how authentic you are with yourself, right? You won't get that level of success that you desire without all of that. But when you combine the hard work and the sacrifice and the commitment along with being authentic, that is where it just becomes explosive. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a great insight. Who are some of the key people who have most impacted you on your journey? You mentioned Fee Mazanki. We've had her on the podcast here. And it's great to hear that you received some coaching from her. I'm interested just to hear, you know, who are some of the other people who have most impacted you and helped you get to where you are? Yeah, this is probably the toughest question because you don't ever want to leave anyone out. Um, You know, I was fortunate that on the personal side of things, I had 100% support from my parents. And then I have pseudo parents, Gail and Steve Herman, uh, Dr. Gail and Dr. Steve Herman, who I actually lived with during college. And he's the one that invited me to um, apply for and go to community college. Um, in the business life in Vector, um, Al DiLeonardo uh, became my dad in the business from really at the end of my first summer. So I was fortunate that I was raised by by Al for the most part. And, um, you know, once I got my feet off the ground and I was really just being a sponge, uh, Don Frieda and Mike Lancelot, um, I idolized them as the type of leaders that I wanted to become, uh, even to the point where I could do a pretty mean impersonation of Mike Lancelot. <laughs> uh, but, but you know what? Imitation is a form of flattery. And I, I thought, my gosh, if I can just you know, be like him with people and on stage and present thoughts and, and teach like he does, I can do this. Give us 20 seconds of Mike Lancelot. Oh, gosh. You know what? I, <laughs> Dan, you're really putting me on the spot here. That's <laughs> Okay, let's see. Hello, everybody. Huh. This is Mike Lancelot here. Vector Marketing and Cutco Cutlery is the perfect opportunity for any young person or college grad. Oh, man. <laughs> 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 I love the, uh, and the, oh man, like that. You know what, though? No, but in all sincerity, uh, Don Frieda and Mike Lancelot were two people who I just idolized. Uh, and I still have the utmost respect for them. Uh, John Vroman, I know he was uh, a previous podcast of yours, but when I moved to Virginia, I needed to find people. And uh, John, I recruited him and trained and developed him. And um, he helped me get Virginia started. Okay. So he, he was one of the first people that I developed um, 
he was probably actually he was the first person I developed to help get this whole thing started. And as you know, he's now the uh, co-founder of the Front Row Foundation, Dave Powders. He's uh, I call him you know he's one of my sons in the business, but. Dave is another person who I um, had the pleasure of working with and developed him into my pilot sales manager. And eventually he became my, my partner in the division as my assistant division manager. Mm-hmm. So he is someone who tremendously, you know, we really worked together great and he helped to grow the division. And as you know, Dave is now one of the, you know, most respected division managers in the company. And then in my later years, uh, it was James Crittenden, who is one of my other sons in the business. And um, even though he never had the title of ADVM, he really was my assistant division manager. And um, we had quite a great run of years working together. And, you know, I'm so proud of him. He's now the CEO of Fresh Move Media, um, doing very well. And then uh, Scott Dennis and Amar DeVay. I had the pleasure of working with both of them um, when, you know, Amar was the region manager and Scott worked with Amar. And um, then when Amar got promoted, I worked directly with Scott. And, you know, those two were just always very supportive and I learned a lot. And ironically, with my current role, now I'm back working directly with Amar. So it's been a, I, I was very fortunate to always have good people uh, all along the way. Yeah. You know, for anybody working in Vector, I think that one of the greatest resources we have is the people that we are around. And this is such a critical element of success. You know, if you're a rep in Vector or you're a young manager in Vector and you consider your leaders, the people that raised you in the business, your division manager, your region manager, these over the years are going to become some of the most instrumental people in your life and helping take you to where you want to be. And whatever you do, if you do something outside of Vector, if you're an alumni or somebody outside of Vector, you know, looking at who are you around, who is mentoring you, right? Who is helping take you to where you want to be and who are your teammates also that are your colleagues? Like that's such a critical piece of success. And it's cool that you've always had people both above and below that have been there for you that have helped you build your career and you know, turn yourself into such a great success. Yeah. You've always been a model, Rich, of financial responsibility and of intelligent saving, intelligent investing. I think most managers in the company that have gotten to know you have always looked up to you for that side of your success. And it wasn't just because you made a lot of money because you know, you certainly you did, but it was a lot more about your ability to save and invest and accumulate that set you apart from a lot of other people. And I'd love to hear a little bit about your path in this area and any tips you might have for others about success financially. Sure. You know, I can't claim to be the most knowledgeable, skilled investor. I So w- what I did, I coined many years ago, I don't know, a couple decades ago, crank and bank, which I think that term is still going around nowadays, crank and bank. And what I always taught my people, crank means you have to be willing to crank out the work. And being self-employed, owning your own office 
whether you're a district manager, branch manager, division manager, whatever it is, you can't be afraid to put in the hours. You know, there's nothing that replaces hard work. And, you know, we learned this phrase years ago in Vector that the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary, right? So you have to be willing to put in the hours. And I honestly never counted the hours. I I just, I did whatever I had to do to get the work done and get it done properly. So you can't be afraid of that. And sometimes that was working seven days a week, you know, during the peak seasons of the year. I don't know, I was working 90, 100 plus hours a week, but I just did what I needed to do. So it was done properly. And when you're cranking, you're going to be earning the bank, right? That's where the big commission checks come in. That's where the big bonuses come in. Um, You got to save it. You can't just spend it. So my advice uh, after cranking and banking, uh, number one is get a good accountant and a good financial advisor. I was always really good at earning the money, but I didn't know what to do with it except save it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So get a good accountant, get a good financial advisor. Um, Next is pay all of your taxes (laughs) because that's such a key thing, right? You need to know what's really yours and rightfully yours and then save and invest the rest uh, with the goal of early retirement. So, you know, that was always my goal. Uh, I remember years ago, setting a goal that I was going to be able to retire when I hit 40. And when I hit 40 years of age, I'm like, well, gosh, I guess I could if I wanted to, but what would I do? Like, I think I'd be bored. (laughs) Um, There was no such thing as fire back then, right? You know, financially independent, retired early, right? That wasn't even a a phrase back then. Um, So I said, well, you know, I guess... I'll retire when I'm 45. And then I turned 45 and I'm like, well, what am I going to do? Like, I, I'll be bored. So then Amar and I were joking. It's like, okay, when we turn 50, well, he and I, you know, our birthdays are just months apart and it hit 50. It's like, well, what am I going to do? I'm going to be bored. <laughs> so the key though is to save and invest with the goal of being able to retire if you want to, Right. I always took pride in being frugal. And I think the word frugal is something that a lot of people are afraid of. Um, I always invested in my people. I always spent money on the right things to develop my people and treat them and, and grow them. But once that was done, anybody who's worked with me can tell you that I, I'm very frugal with the way I did things not only in the business, but out of the business as well. There was a race. I remember when I was a new district manager back in those days, it was Lori Zager, now Lori McHenry. Um, She and I had a race. Who could be the first person to have $50,000 in our savings account, right? And I think it's important to set benchmarks for financial goals. And once you hit 50, then the race was how fast could I hit 100? And then the next benchmark was 250,000, right? Because then it's like, wow, I've got a quarter million saved. And then the next benchmark was 500,000. 
and then it was 750,000 and then it was a million and so on and so forth. So it's just hitting those benchmarks and knowing that every dollar that you have is yours, rightfully earned, taxes paid, and you know, you're securing a really, really exciting future for yourself. And then I had the philosophy that once my investments were earning enough on their own, it was okay to treat myself to some nicer things in life because I knew it wasn't going to hurt me at all. So, and as you're cranking, by the way, you have to reward yourself along the way, but just nothing crazy, you know? So I would set a goal. I'm like, hey, you know, we have a a 50K week. I'm going to go out to a nice dinner, okay? We do, you know, 100K for whatever. I'm going to, you know, buy a suit. But it it was nothing ever crazy. So those are just some of the things that I did and some of my philosophies um, to save. Yeah, it just speaks to a very responsible approach to building wealth that people really need to hear. You know, there's a lot of people out there that are proponents of the way that you make it big in finances is like you hit this home run, whether it be that, you know, you start a company that makes it big or you happen to be lucky enough to invest in some kind of startup that goes crazy or whatever. Like there's all of these ways of hitting home runs financially that can lead people to success, but they can also be strikeouts over and over and over again. Isn't that like the tortoise and the hare? Yeah, it's a little bit like the tortoise and the hare, you know? And I think that there's an attraction for so many young people to the hare approach. It's like, I want to go fast. I want to get there, you know, screw being a millionaire when I'm 50. Like I want it now. And there's something to be said for that approach, but it's not a guaranteed approach that's going to get you to a good place. And it just makes a lot more sense to make sure that initially you have the tortoise approach, that you have the slow and steady approach, and you at least get your basic needs for the future taken care of. You at least get that off the table. Then you can take a portion of what you're earning and you can explore some other more, quote, you know, higher risk, higher reward type of alternatives. But the idea of beginning to make sure that you are saving a small amount on a regular basis, that it's invested wisely, that you're getting to 50 to 100 to 250 to 500 to a million dollars in your investment account before you start thinking about a lot of these other types of things really makes a lot of sense. If somebody today is, you know, let's say you're 50 or 60 years old and you have a million dollars saved up, and that million dollars is conservatively invested at a 6% return, well, you've got a $60,000 a year income right there, which is $5,000 a month. You're not rich on $5,000 a month, but you can probably live pretty comfortably in most places in America, especially if your mortgage is paid off at this point. Absolutely. That's the whole idea that I think is really important with financial security is like, get your basic needs taken care of first at least get that first million accumulated or be on the road to that first million. Have enough where you can see that, okay, this is going to track to a million by the time I'm 50 now. So that means I can begin to take some portion of my earnings or my savings and do some other stuff with it. But at least get that under control. And you were always really smart about that. You talked about taking pride in being frugal. I think it's more that you took pride in making sure that you were saving and investing, right? Being frugal was a part of that. If people can be saving and investing and have nice things at the same time. That's the ultimate goal. But to take pride in accumulating, take pride in that savings account growing 
you always would talk about this at events and meetings and conversations that we would have over the years is like getting to that 500K milestone, getting to that million dollar net worth. Like that was always really important to you. And it just makes a lot of sense for so many young people to hear that philosophy. Yeah. And, and, you know, just a couple thoughts. Um, I did take the tortoise approach, but I just sped the tortoise up. Okay. Because for me, I realized if I stay monogamously committed to the vector opportunity, and I got to tell you, I've had so many people approach me over the decades with, you know, Rich, we've got this amazing opportunity for you. One of the things I did right is I just stayed true and steady in vector. Um, I did not allow myself to become distracted with other shiny, you know, things on the side. I put 100% into vector. So even though I was on the quote tortoise, I sped that tortoise up where when you do that year after year and you're shipping enough new business and developing people, it's amazing how quickly you can become financially independent. So I think that's key. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So Rich, not too long ago, the company tapped you for a new role. It's interesting that you're getting to work with Amar Dave, who was your former region manager and something new and different in the company. Tell us a little bit about that and where you see this going. Yeah. So this, uh, gosh, I'm so excited about this. I built my career as a new manager back in the day. We had to be really good at recruiting non-students. And I became a pro at that. I built my career on that. And I met some of the most amazing, fun, interesting people from all walks of life. And I built, you know, my foundation on that. So the whole concept of the next gen sales manager is um, I am developing a program to effectively recruit and train and potentially develop these non-student type people and bring that back into Vector. So for me, it's really going back to where I came from. Mm. And what's so exciting is our testing that we've done so far has proven some very exciting and encouraging results. Uh, We're actually in the process right now of expanding our program again and expanding some more systems. Ultimately, I like to think big, but I really believe that this program will eventually turn into the second largest recruiting and sales channel that our company has only to the traditional student programs. So I really think it's, it's going to be that big in the future. So I am super excited and uh, I, I love the new challenge. I love the new opportunity and uh, I'm having fun with it. Yeah, that's cool. And it can create opportunities for people all across the country as well in terms of leadership roles. Oh my gosh, yes. And not to mention what it's going to add to the current managers, okay? Just the added business for current district managers and all the opportunity that it provides for people in our society who don't fit that typical student, you know, age bracket. Yeah, and you know, in the years past, Vector and Cutco didn't have as many viable sales 
positions that worked for people who were, you know, beyond college. It's like if you're a college student, you worked in Vector and you got out of college, you either became a manager or you left and went and did something else. Yeah. And over the years, we've developed such great sales programs for people who want to be in sales as a career, not in management, where they could stay in Cutco and they could do well and make a lot of money and be able to continue working with this company they love and in a great position. And so... I think the development of a lot of our sales programs has opened the doors for a lot of non-students to find a place where they can have a sales career and enjoy it. And uh, for us to have a, an arm of the company that's focusing singularly on that, that establishes a culture around that, makes a lot of sense while the existing operation is still focusing on students and you know building a culture around student recruiting. Yeah. And, you know, this whole program is even designed for people who aren't looking for a career, right? They're just looking for a part-time gig. Yeah. So it may be a full-time parent or someone with a full-time career or a grad student or whatnot. And, you know, these are the same types of people that, you know, they might drive an Uber, you know, part-time or whatnot. But, you know, coming up with this whole program where we can serve this whole part of our community and not only do they benefit, but we as a company and managers benefit as well. It's so exciting. Yeah. And Cutco's got such a great brand name recognition out there that there's probably a lot of people that uh, have purchased the products that, you know, would, would have the thought that, hey, you know, I'd like to represent this stuff. So absolutely. Oh, nice. Nice. Well, Rich, you know, the podcast is called Changing Lives, Selling Knives. And I'm interested in just wrapping up by hearing about how does Rich Plaskin aspire to change people's lives? in the years ahead, you know, through your work or through your influence? You know, it's amazing to me in my past career as a DVM, you never realize how many people's lives that you've impacted until you really take a look at the facts. And I sent you a picture. I'm not sure if you got it, but when I was moving out of my office um, about a year and a half ago, uh, I went there on a, I think it was a Sunday and I said, I've got to get all this stuff moved out. And I was in that office for 15, 16 years and it was incredible to me. I had like over 300 trophies and plaques and awards. And I said, I can't keep all these. What am I going to do with these? And I donated as many as colleges and schools would take, but I still had like 300 left over. So I just had to throw them away. And I, I kept the most important sacred ones, but I literally filled a dumpster. And as I was uh, wheeling, wheelbarrowing these things out, I, I looked like a baby. I was bawling, crying in the parking lot of my office complex. And I remember the landscapers were there like raking leaves or whatever. And they're looking at me and they're like, dude, are you okay? Like they didn't know what's the problem. I'm looking at every trophy and it has the date. And if it was a division meeting or an SC1 or an SC2. And I was thinking about all of the people that it took to win just one trophy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Here I am, 300 plus trophies. I'm like, oh my gosh. So that was one of the most emotional things for me is realizing all of the hard work and how many people were behind the scenes just to win a single one. So from my past, I look to my future. So in my current role, um, I'm excited to leave even a bigger mark on our company. Um, 
with the opportunities that we are going to create through these new programs and impacting countless others for decades to come uh, with our new next-gen programs. In the future, you know, I guess when I'm retired, um, I can see myself traveling across the country very slowly, um, just enjoying life and seeing amazing parts of our nation and guest lecturing wherever, volunteering um, and just, you know, impacting people with all the things that I've learned and that I've um, experienced through my professional career. That's great. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Rich. You know, we've worked together for many years. When you branched in 1990, I also branched in 1990. And you became a district manager before I did. I had a couple more years of school. You became a division manager before I did. But uh, we've grown up in this business together. And I've always admired your level of achievement. You've been a top producer, both in your office and your division for many years. And I really admired how you turned that level of achievement into a great lifestyle. And all the things you've done with saving and accumulating and your couple homes that you own. And you know, you've built a great lifestyle for yourself. You've been an amazing role model for so many people. Everyone that has worked with you has always really looked up to you and has talked about how much they respect you. So I think that says a lot about uh, you know, who you are and the impact you've had on so many other people. And I really appreciate you being with us today and sharing some of your insights. Uh, this has been really good. Thank you very much. Dan, thank you. The respect is likewise for many decades now. Yeah, yeah. More to come. Exactly. <laughs> the best Cheers. is ahead of us. Cheers to more to come, Rich. Thanks. Cheers to you. Thank you. Rich Plaskin, everyone. One of the more insightful and respected leaders that I've worked with. I like that Rich talked about how many of his successes in his business and life were born out of failures. And I think for anyone that's experienced challenge and difficulty, there's a lot to relate to in Rich's story. Of course, Rich sharing about coming out as one of the first openly gay top executives in the company. That was a key moment. You know, it seems kind of strange here in 2019, referring to this story as a key time. But as vector marketing grew throughout the 1990s, I do think this was a key moment in time because Rich became a role model for many other people. Rich has described to me how his phone really started ringing a lot after this with other leaders throughout the company saying, you know, hey, you know, I've experienced the same thing and, you know, here's where I'm at and asking for his advice and his input. And I know that some of the people I worked with personally on the West Coast in the, in the Bay Area really related to Rich in that regard. Cranking and banking. That is what Rich is known for. Working hard, producing a whole lot, and then saving a large chunks of what he was earning, putting that in the bank, investing wisely, developing that first million dollar net worth and the ability to retire at a young age, which he, you know, put himself in a position to have those choices. And then I also just want to get people thinking about the labels that you place on yourself, the labels others have placed on you, the labels maybe that you place on others in your life and how powerful those labels can be in creating someone's identity and the importance of looking for the good and the potential in all of the people that we work with, 
looking for the good and the potential in ourselves and being able to have that come to fruition. Hope you enjoyed Mr. Rich Plaskin. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.